This is Aliens and Artists, Episode 9, Part 1 of our talk with Christopher O'Brien. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Christopher O'Brien is a musician, screenwriter, author, and visual artist. He's also the foremost investigator of cattle mutilations. From 1992 to 2002, O'Brien investigated over 1,000 paranormal events reported in the San Luis Valley, working with law enforcement officials, ex-military, ranchers, and an extensive network of sky watchers. He documented what may have been the most intense wave of unexplained activity ever seen in a single region of North America. His book, Stalking the Herd, is the definitive book on the cattle mutilation mystery. O'Brien's anomalous experiences began around the age of six with non-human entities and have gone on to include dozens of sightings of craft and phenomena. Well, first of all, I was pretty exceptional as a kid. I, um, I learned to read when I was three, and I could do um, um, reproductions of famous paintings with vanishing points and, th- you know, in, in th- three dimensions. Um, I was able to uh, comprehend pretty um, <laughs> complicated and sophisticated uh, chains of events, thoughts. Uh, I had a, a semi-photographic memory. Um, and of course, <laughs> now I'm I'm a lot. Uh, uh, I think I've degraded quite a bit, uh, but uh, back then I I had off the charts IQ and and um, which was a blessing and a curse. Uh, I was really tired of of people just thinking I was a regular, you know, four or five year old or six year old and. Uh, and talking to me in goo goo voice and that sort of thing. And, and so I, I, I very quickly uh, got a chip on my shoulder about that and, and uh, was pretty demonstrative about, you know, making sure that adults n- knew who they were dealing with. <laughs> my, my godfather was, uh, for instance, was the, uh, the, the, uh, the person in NASA who was in charge of liaison with Congress for funding during the, uh, uh, Mercury, Gen- uh, Gemini, and Apollo programs, and uh, I would get into arguments with him about um, the, the type of funding that, that NASA was was getting. And I said, "You guys are selling yourself short." Uh, and you know, I, w- I would be in a party situation, blowing all the adults away, and then my sister would grab me and take me aside and, and say, "You can't just lecture people." You know, I was what five oh. maybe four <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah i was i was a, pr- a pretty mind-blowing little kid and uh and that um uh, that allowed me to um uh, to be really uh <laughs> aware and um and it 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 i lived i lived with perpetually broadened horizons as a child uh, and so my parents were very, very careful to shield me from television, from um, movies that weren't, you know, Disney cartoons or, um, you know, real super G-rated family films and that sort of thing. And I wasn't allowed to watch TV, uh, read comic books. God forbid they should find a Mad Magazine. 
Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I led a pretty sheltered life. Now I was adopted when I was, when I was five and, uh, with my, uh, my brother, Brendan and, uh, the night in question was uh, in the spring of 63. I'm not sure if I had turned seven or I was just about to turn seven. It was right around, uh, I seem to recall, it was about the beginning or the middle of March, my birthday being March 24th. And um, I just, it, it was just one of those weird things that you kind of, I mean, it was almost a cookie cutter experience. Uh, I, I woke up, something woke me up and there was the light. Um, there were vertical, two foot vertical uh, columns of thin columns of light that were um, lighting up what appeared to be non-human entities about the same height as me. Uh, and they were um, kind of slightly to the left of my bed uh, towards the foot of the bed. And, you know, I thought maybe I was dreaming, so I covered up my head with my covers and then brought them down and looked again, and they were right directly at the base, uh, you know, at the foot of my bed. Now, my bed was in the basement. If I stood on my bed, my I could, my chin would be at ground level. And um, uh, just to kind of give you a sense of, of the, you know, the layout, I lived in a, a real kind of modern uh it was built in the 40s, but the house was quite modern. My dad was a, a famous architect. My adopted dad was a famous architect. And we lived in a very, you know, like a flight, a Frank Lloyd Wright type house with cantilevers, and weird angles everywhere and skylights and all that stuff. This is in Bellevue, Washington. And um, uh, later on, as I digress here, um, my paper route was Evergreen Point. So uh, Bill Gates, if he had lived there then, would have been on my paper route. Uh, just to give, I, I grew up in Medina, which is the probably one of the most, you know, hoity-toity elite areas, uh, residential areas in the country. Um, so anyway, I, I dashed out of my bed. I was not, uh, you know, paralyzed. Uh, like oftentimes that you hear about these types of events where people wake up, they see these beings, and and uh, they're paralyzed. Well, I wasn't. I was I was um, ambulatory. I could move. I dashed out of the room. Um, these little guys were holding these. Uh, I called them stickmen uh, later, and these lighted rods that they were holding out in front of them were about. Like I said, about two feet. They were about three, three and a half feet tall. Um, the one in the back, I think there was a fourth one that may have been taller, but it was kind of hiding, and I, I couldn't see it because the light wasn't shining on it. Uh, I could kind of sense movement back there. Um, I ran out the door. I, I ran up the 10 stairs to the to the um, front door landing, and I hit hit the landing, turned to go up the four stairs to my parents room which is in the top level of the house and they were standing at the top of the stairs and that's when i got my first real good look at them i don't know if it was the same group a different group or if they had teleported up there um i i got the impression that it was the same group um since my way was blocked i had no uh choice but to run i don't know why i just didn't run out the the, the front door but i ran through the kitchen and then grabbed the back door and opened it and, and 
ran into the screen door. I had forgotten that my dad had put the screen door on, and that literally knocked me down, uh, made me stumble backwards. Um, I looked uh, through the hallway to the entrance of the, or uh, through the uh, kitchen to the entrance uh, way, the hall, you know, the front hallway entrance, and I could see them uh, behind me. And um, I don't know why. I, they may have headed me off. I, this this part's a little murky, but once I got outside the, the kitchen door, I was going to run around uh, the backside of the house on the on the our lawn, and and ba- and bang on my parents' uh, door. They had a dressing room with an entrance to the outside in their wing of the house, and uh, I don't know why, but I ended up running downstairs uh, down the driveway, um, which is. Uh, kind of headed west towards the lake and then dashed through the, there was a big laurel hedge that was between our house and the neighbors. And I was going to, I thought, well, maybe I can go to the Richards and and call my house. And so I, (laughs) I ran uh, as quickly as I could in the dark uh, to the Richards house, pounded on their door. Um, Nobody answered. And I, look behind me and I could see that they had followed me through the, through the hedge, but you know, they, the Richards had a terrace lawn. So I was above them and I could only see the tops of their heads and they were kind of sort of ambiently lit by either a combination of the moon and a big uh, street light that the Richards had next to their house and their driveway. I, for some reason, I remember seeing the tops of their heads and they weren't bobbing up and down like they were walking. They, they were all moving together, uh, gliding, which kind of freaked me out. Um, and um, so I ran out since they didn't answer uh, the door. I, I ran out into the middle of their yard, um, which is a really big, big yard um, to the Barker's house in front of the Barker's. And I waited out there to, to see them when they went under the streetlight uh, so I could get a really good look at them. And I, and I did, I, I, I noticed that they were, that their legs were about the, the width of my thumb now. I mean, they were, ex- they were stick men. They, 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 they had, they were like bones almost. Uh, they were so skinny with like elastic skin over the bones. They were a dirty white color. I couldn't really tell because, you know, everything seems kind of you know, white to black when, when, it's, when it's, you know, pretty dark. Um, you don't really get a sense of color. Um, I, I don't remember their eyes for some reason. Uh, I remember they had big heads, kind of teardropped shaped heads with really small little pointy chins. But for some reason, I blocked out their eyes. I've never been regressed or anything to retrieve any memories um, uh, that I know of. I was regressed one time when I was 13 and was not allowed to know the results of the regression. Uh, But that's another story. Um, So I went to the Barker's, uh, pound on the door. The light came on, the porch light. Um, Later on, Mr. Barker said that he saw me out there, um, and by the time he, you know, got to the front door because he had to go out of his bedroom and down the hall into the front door, he opened the door and I was gone. And I don't remember what what happened after that. Uh, uh, you know, prior to that, the the beans had approached the the light, and when I was standing in the yard with lots of room around me to get a good look at him, they they had turned sideways and come through the light. 
um, and they had no depth. It was almost like they were paper dolls, um, which that freaked me out. Um, and that's I, I went into night, you know, night terror at that point. Banged on the bark, you know, ran around the, uh, to the front of the to the back of the Barker's house where their door was by the bedroom and banged on the door. And, and, uh, evidently when he saw me out there, he, um, and he went and opened the door and I was gone. He immediately called my house and, uh, my sister answered the phone and she came out in her, her kind of diaphanous robe and was looking all over for me. And she, she said she looked about 20 minutes. I think it was longer uh, for I, I don't know why, but I just have a feeling it was longer. I don't remember anything that happened um, until she found me huddled on a porch across the street and down what well, would have been one, two, three houses uh, on the other side of our house, so five houses away. away. Um, I thought she was an angel <laughs> coming down. She's coming down their driveway with the with the robe floating around her. She looked like uh, like an angel. And uh, she took me home and, you know, she, she, just, she knew I was freaked out. She just thought I had a nightmare, that I was sleepwalking. Uh, she said I was just babbling and, and I wasn't making sense, that I was obviously terrified. And I, I refused to go down, back downstairs in my bedroom. So, you know, at this point it's, what, about 4, 4 o'clock in the morning. And... Uh, and so she says, well, you can sleep, in, you know, in bed with me. And, you know, so she held me and and she said that I tried to nurse her, which I, I always thought was a, a really interesting um, reaction that I had from real primordial fear. <laughs> so, of course, you know, my folks, my two older sisters, my sister Molly, who family was 18 you know, adopted sister, and my other sister was 16, and, you know, everybody's, oh, he was nightmare, was sleepwalking, oh, you just had a dream. Well, I read Operation Trojan Horse by John Keel years later and found out there were two or three other cases just like mine in the neighboring towns to me the spring of 63. And in one of the cases, the kid even called them stick men, just like I did. Stick men with spears is is how I they had these spears of the light was like zipping up and down inside the sphere. It was all sparkly lights that were jumping around in the in the the spears I called it. Um, and, and so that that I was like I said I was a really really smart little kid, uh, and uh, that irrevocably changed me. I mean that was probably the most important. Um, event that ever has happened to me. And people say, how can you remember so much detail from something that happened when you were so young so long ago? I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, the only other things I remember from my childhood is getting, you know, a few, you know, bad beatings from my dad, getting my two front teeth knocked out in Little League, uh, breaking my arm, uh, having a couple of really bad wrecks on my bike. You know, I remember the traumatic things, basically, and a few good things. I remember, you know, getting my Raceway 66 HO car scale racing set when I was, you know, what, nine or something. Uh, you, you know, but this was, I mean, I was totally changed. I became obsessed 
um, any book that I could find in the library. I, I went to all the libraries looking for books on UFOs. And, uh, um, you know, I read all the great classics, the incident in Exeter when it came out, uh, an interrupted journey, um, Valet's anatomy of a phenomenon, um, you know, flying, flying saucers have landed, you know, Adamski, uh, Frank Scully. I read all those books, Keel, um, at a very, very young age. And, um, but I was in the closet, you know, for all the way until, uh, until, you know, 92. I mean, I, uh, I just, I knew nobody would believe me. So I didn't bother, you know, telling anybody except really close friends, girlfriends, uh, people that I, I trusted and that knew me well enough to know that I wouldn't confabulate something like this. Um, but it, um, I'll tell you, you have an experience like that. You don't forget it. <laughs> you know? It's arresting in so many ways. Several questions come to mind. I want to ask later on about why you were not allowed to know what came to light in that regression session. Also, to clarify, is this the event in which your brother had made some comment about a shared dream? No, that was, this is, this is different. This was about the same time period. I think it was the following year. Um, we used to, they, because we were like Irish twins, we were 54 weeks apart. We were really close in age. Uh, and we both looked exactly alike, almost like twins. So of course our parents would buy us the same exact outfit and dress us all the same. We'd have the same pajamas, the same, you know, uh, basic clothing, you know, they get two of everything, um, which always irritated me, but, uh, and him, but uh, we had these blue and white striped b pajamas that looked like prison outfits. <laughs> and um, I had an, a weird, this is the only other weird experience that happened to me when I was young um, that I can remember. Uh, by the time my sister went off to college the following year, we moved up to her room and there were bunk beds in there. And I was in the top bunk. And uh, I remember waking up because I was hearing this kind of rattling, bumping noise. And I was like, what the hell is that? And I looked down. Well, first of all, there was this weird green glow that seemed to be coming from outside. And it was... I've never seen a glow like that. It was a, it was a, I'd say it was green, but it was almost like a, like a, a color that I've never seen before or since. It was like this weird kind of electric green color. And, uh, I mean, that's the first thing I noticed. And, and then the second thing, you know, I was, I looked down to see what the noise was and it was my dress. Uh, we had this little, um, uh, kind of like a chest of drawers, but real skinny, like a bedside table with, with a, a drawer in it. And the drawer was floating in and out like somebody was trying to open it. And, and, and the sound I was hearing was the wood hitting the wood of it floating out and kind of bumping on the way out. And then it would go back in and it would go back out. And I was like, what the hell? And so I climbed downstairs and I don't remember why, I went down 
those four stairs, you know, the bedroom was up in the upper landing area, the upper part of the split level house down the hall from my parents' room. And I don't know why I went down there. I think it was because the light seemed to be coming from the front and we were in the back of the house. And so I went down, I went down the, the stairs to the, to the landing and then out the landing to the, to the living room. Now we had a 16 foot uh, peaked, you know, like pointed ceiling, uh, with 16 foot uh, glass uh, windows and four different panes. And they, they overlooked Lake Washington and we could see the skyline of Seattle across the lake, across the lake. And I remember seeing this green glow was lighting up the clouds and these two ships came down through the clouds and then started coming straight at me. And they were about, when they came through the clouds, they were probably about, four or five miles away maybe out in the middle of the lake and then when they started coming towards me they seemed to be right at eye level because i was up about a hundred feet in altitude from the you know in elevation from the lake and they seemed to be skimming across the lake right at me and i woke up i don't remember anything after that well my brother i never i don't remember telling him this but i probably did but you know, we didn't talk about it for decades. Uh, if 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 I had told him, I don't remember, and we don't, um, we had never talked about it until I think it was eighty nine, maybe eighty eight, uh, when when I was in, uh, I was living for, I lived in a, a couple years in in uh, Cambridge, you know, in Boston. And uh, he was over at the house one day, and I was. Uh, my girlfriend said, "Tell, you know, tell uh, uh, Katya, who was my brother's girlfriend, tell Katya about that that weird thing that happened to you where you saw the the, the ships coming down and then across the lake." And so I told the story, and my brother stopped me <laughs> as I told the. Uh, you know, I was getting to the end of the story. He stopped me and said, "That was you." And I said, well, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I I thought I had a dream that I was watching myself." But that was you in this in the blue and white striped pajamas. Remember we had those pajamas? I said, yeah. He goes, I was standing behind you watching the same thing. Now, I don't know if he really was or if he was unconsciously remembering hearing the story uh, before. But he had goosebumps all over his arms. So, I mean, he, he definitely was responding to something. I don't know what. But uh, um, that's the only other thing. Uh, I mean, I was always out sky watching. I was always out um, constantly looking. Um, I was, I think, healthily obsessed with, uh, you know, spotting something during the daytime, especially. Uh, so I always was looking, and I always have been looking um, all through my life. People say, well, how come you've had so many sightings? And I say, because I look. Most people, their eyes don't go above eye level. They're looking straight ahead or down. That's it. I'm always looking around, man. <laughs> you know, when people say, well, they always come out of the West, I immediately turn around and, and, and start looking in the East. Yeah. You know, if they say, keep your eyes to the sky, I immediately put my ear to the ground. <laughs> you know, that's just the way I am. Um, so those two events, I think, are the only ones really that I, I'm, conscious of uh have conscious recollection of um i may have seen one thing uh 
but I don't know. I think I think I was just psyching myself into thinking uh, that I saw something. I, I'm not sure if I really did. It seemed like something was going, you know, was above the clouds, and I could see it go uh, where there was gaps in the clouds. But I don't know if I if I really did or not. I don't count that as anything. Uh, that was later when I was about eleven or twelve. There was some correlation. I don't remember precisely what it was with Whitley Strieber's cabin. Yeah, that was that was my first real sighting um, in New Paltz in uh, September '79, uh, and that was just a few miles from his place. Yeah, about five six miles away from um, from where he was. Uh, we, um, I had a friend that went uh, transferred from City University um, up to New Paltz. And SUNY, SUNY at New Paltz, State University at New Paltz, and uh, in New York. And we, uh, Gen- I was really into prog rock when I was younger, and, and uh, Gentle Giant was playing, and, and um, you know, it was my only real chance to get to see him because they didn't really tour that much. And uh, so I got a hold of some really good um, Cubensis Mexicana. <laughs> psilocybe mexicanas and um but i only had enough for me my girlfriend and my brother or no he yeah he had some um and the other three of us that were there there were six of us the other three didn't have any um and we went to the show and it was definitely trippy um uh, you know just for the sake of uh, transparency i've um uh, imbibed in psychedelics hundreds of times um but mushrooms i I was quite an aficionado i used to grow them and raise them in washington state in high school and had a thriving business and uh I, i i spent more time my junior and senior year in high school tripping than i did straight so Uh, whether it's, you know, I had a chemist friend who would synthesize uh, TH, pure THC, pure cannabinol, uh, mescaline. Uh, uh, so, you know, I was very, very fortunate to uh, to have those experiences because they were uh, very instrumental in, in uh, especially the acid. I would go in and, and uh, do entire trips in the bathroom staring at myself in the mirror and... Uh, it saved my my life uh, in in uh, because of the physical and psychological abuse that I experienced growing up. Um, I was really fucked up emotionally, and uh, and I my shrink later told me, <laughs> and I can quote him word for word. He says, "I never thought I would ever say this about any case, let alone one of my patients, but you are the only person that I know of that has successfully." diagnosed and self-treated themselves with psychedelics wow successfully wow <laughs> so <laughs> yeah try doing you know like quite lightning window pain you know and everybody else does one quarter and you do two four-way hits and then sit there and you know, get to know yourself real well in the uh, in the mirror wow that's uh not many people can do that uh i was very fortunate uh so it um i for the sake of transparency i should 
should fess up. But um, so anyway, I'm I'm there enjoying this concert. You know, it's one of the best bands ever that I've ever seen live, and I've seen everybody. See, that's one thing about my generation. I did see all the all the good bands, you know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> literally. Um, and so afterwards, we were going to go to this party, but um, the person that was going to uh, take us to the party didn't go to the concert. So we we uh, had a an arrangement where we were going to meet him down at the parking lot in the uh, down down the hill, uh, the parking lot for the football field, the athletic field, and. Uh, so we went down there to hang out and we were hanging out in the you know middle of the football field you know looking up beautiful moon you know moonless night stars are blazing and i'm lying on my back and i noticed that there was a you know a group of stars that that seemed to be kind of moving around a little bit all the other stars were stationary but these like six or seven stars were I could see them slightly moving. And so I went to my brother. I said, look straight up. Tell me what you see. So he looked straight up and he goes, those stars are moving. I said, yeah, I, I thought so. I thought I thought maybe it was me. And then I went to you know the people that weren't tripping. I said, hey, look, look over here, right up there. Okay, now look straight up and tell me what you see. And they saw the same thing. They said, those stars are moving. And, and so I said, let's let's try something. Um, was it me or my brother? I forget. I forget at this point um, who said it, but I think it was me. I said, let's 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 see if they know we're here. And so I said, let's trace out with our bodies. Let's lie on the ground in a square. And so we arranged ourselves lying down in a square, and the lights in the uh, way up there, like stars. They moved into a square, and then we said, oh, "Cool, you know." My brother, my brother stood with his back to us, and he was looking up, as kind of our our, our quick control, so that we weren't thinking that it was something. And, and uh, uh, an observer who didn't know what we were doing uh, needed to verify that he couldn't see what we were doing, but he was looking up, and he said, "Yeah, now now they're moving into a square. We did a a circle, we did a triangle, and then I tried three three wavy lines because I was doing the, the symbols for uh, psi experiments, you know, parapsychology experiments, uh, guessing, you know, it's a circle, a square, wavy lines or uh, a triangle. Um, we had a problem. We didn't have enough people to do the wavy lines. Um, and then somebody said, well, why are you so far away? Why don't you come closer? And all of a sudden the lights, either they were rushing down at us because they were getting bigger and brighter or they just illuminated, you know, they got brighter. It, it, it appeared like they were coming down towards us. And then the same person that said that, it was one of the girls, she says, no, no not that close. And they stopped. And then they went <laughs> back up and, and just started doing their milling around thing. And uh, that's when our ride showed up. And, and <laughs> we just said, oh, time to go to the party. And we went to the party. That was my first real, real sighting. Uh, that's pretty unique i i've never heard of anybody i've never heard yeah. of that kind of interactive geometrical dynamic mm -hmm. i want to pause and ask what do you make of all these three milestone events now 
as you reflect back, having had a life in these realms, including so much research and experience, what do you make of these experiences reflecting back at this point? Well, I, I, I don't really, um, I can't really analyze them or judge them or um, ascribe any, any particular significance to them other than the fact that I think, I think there are certain people that um, their their reality it's almost like a like a predestination thing it's almost like certain people have to be given certain kinds of experiences so that they will go on and do certain types of work or be involved in certain situations that that may have some sort of significance and this is the classic special destiny uh, kind of tag that uh, is, is in psychology uh, where someone thinks that they're uh, destined for greatness or, or um, you know, certain important crucial events won't happen unless they're there to, to trigger them. You know, they think that, that, that the universe revolves around them. Um, this would be the only aspect of that particular line of thinking, my own experiences, that would even allow me to entertain that as as a possibility. I'm not a, a person that's uh, a particularly, um, well, I don't believe anything, uh, number one. <laughs> uh, and I definitely don't believe that, uh, that I'm some sort of special destiny person. Uh, but if I were to think that, these three events would be the, the thing that would make me think that. Um, that and the fact that, you know, my adoptive mother um, taught me about the uh, the divin divination arts, uh, the I Ching, um, uh, card reading, uh, um, pendulum uh, divination, all these things I learned as a kid. How to divine for water. My, my mother uh, doused uh, my brother's well uh, in... I think it was 91. Uh, she came to Colorado and, and found water for him uh, when he was uh, getting ready to drill as well. And so he had the uh, the water company come and they had their water witch and they, they divine the same thing, not knowing that my mother had already done it. And they found the water in the same exact place, except they said it was six feet up, uh, closer to the to the surface. And, and she had said it was... Uh, down further, and she was right, and they were wrong. <laughs> but they both hit the hit the right spot. Hmm. So, um, I mean that that really uh, that had a major influence on me. But um, y you know these things. I think the main thing that they did was absolutely uh, prove to me, in my mind, without any room for interpretation that we live in a reality that has a lot more going on. There's a lot, there's, there's, there's sentience um, that is operative in our, you know, four dimensional reality. There's sentience that's operational and is influencing um, our particular closed, naive sort of existence. Um, and, has tremendous um, capability and uh, sophistication, technology, um, and is able somehow to um, become entwined or entangled, if you will, uh, if you want 
get into physics here a little bit. It's entangled into synchronicity and into meaningful coincidence. And, um, and so, you know, that type of coincidence is what got me to the San Luis Valley. Uh, I would not have been there except for the coincidence of moving to Santa Fe from Boston and, and seeing three horrific, uh, two pedestrian accidents and one car accident. All three people were killed. I saw that within a week. And I knew the universe uh, was saying, this is not the place for you. Wow. And um, I had a friend and his girlfriend who lived up in the San Luis Valley, which is about three and a half hours north of Santa Fe. And I was talking to him on the phone. I was going to go up and visit him. And I mentioned, you know, what was going on. And I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there in Santa Fe. And he said, well, come up here. we got two extra bedrooms. Uh, come on up here and check it out. So, I mean, we we did. We moved up there just to see if we liked it. And I was there for 13 years. And, of course, you know, everything that's ensued, all this uh, investigative work and, you know, writing books and Shit, I'm I'm zeroing in on a hundred different TV show segments that I've been in. Uh, plus, I've got this is off the record. I'm I have a non-disclosure agreement, but I'm going to be working on a show uh, on the San Luis Valley for Discovery Studios. Uh, but nobody can, is supposed to know that uh, I've already signed a a um, development deal. Hmm. So um, all that stuff would not have happened uh, unless synchronicity, meaningful coincidence had steered me in that particular direction. And other things have happened too along the way that um, um, have have kind of, you know, I've, I've often joked to the new ages that, you know, you can't argue with the angels when they point you in a direction, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't fight it, you know, don't yeah. just just it's okay you know go go with it <laughs> the resistance so. becomes more painful than just going ahead with it it reminds me of a question that i've been struggling with lately which is about interiority the sentience that you mentioned this intelligence interacting with us sometimes i wonder if the emphasis on the objectivity and the materials is misplaced You've had copious encounters with the hardcore reality of mutilations, of course. But I also wonder if the interiority in trying to engage and understand these phenomena, is that a capacity that we can cultivate, that we should cultivate, that interior sensitivity? Yeah, I think so. I don't think we have much of a choice because I think um, what may be behind... Um, this whole idea um, is Gaia. I think that the uh, the planet itself is a superorganism, and we are the cream of its spawn. We are the thing that will take um, our our genes will like a dandelion blowing in the wind. Will our genes will be spread out to the cosmos, and I think the planet's trying to get us off the planet <laughs> because we're, we're detrimental to the, the, the wonderful biodiversity that's here. And we are, you know, us and our cows uh, in our cars and chainsaws. The, I think it was uh, Jeremy Rifkin said, or no, it was uh, 
uh, uh, Lovelock, the guy who came up with the Gaia hypothesis, said the the three most detrimental things in our reality are cars, chainsaws, and cattle. <laughs> the three C's. Um, I think Gaia is trying to get its trick us off planet. So I think a, 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 one of the possible rationales for using aliens and and things that seen in the sky, mandalas of completion, as Carl Jung would say, um, I think part of that is to draw us off planet, oh. to get us out there to see the stars, so that the uh, um, the sanctity of this of this closed uh, system of biodiversity can be healed. And so I know that sounds kind of Weird, uh, not to me. But uh, I think that uh, there's there's a lot of evidence to uh, uh, to 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 suggest that that's that's a very real possibility. I don't think we're dealing with aliens from another planet. Not not even close. Uh, I think that is the least likely explanation to explain meaningful coincidence uh this uh, you know this kind of quantum entanglement of of uh thoughts ideas and cultural um, biases and uh, and 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 cultural motivation um i think there's a thermostat uh culturally that's that's operational um, jacques Vallée talks about this a lot that uh you know that when things uh heat up uh something has to come to cool it down uh whether it's uh you know you want to talk about physical uh science if you know we get too hot and we have global warming boom we're going to probably have an ice age to to offset it everybody's worried about you know global warming and climate change yeah we're, we're probably going to go into an ice age as a result of creating too much heat on the planet once we stop the uh, the conveyor belts of water coming up from the from the cold uh, Antarctic regions um, up to the to the Arctic regions, like the the Gulf Stream and the Pacific Gyra. If, if if we if the water gets too warm and it gets desalinized, those conveyor belts will stop. And once that happens, then then the Arctic areas will will start to creep down, like they did over and over again. Uh, you know. The last million years on the theme of Gaia or a more animistic interpretation of this sentience how does that factor into something like the hybridization program that's been reported for decades I know you're familiar with John Mack's work how do you feel what you just shared comports with the hybrid topic well, just just the whole idea of contact and um, and and um, the details of that, whether it's hybridization, whether it's uh, some sort of genetic manipulation for whatever purposes, I don't think we have enough uh, empirical evidence um, to support that. I think that those might be um, the signposts that are um, suggesting an interaction, uh, you know, trying to change humanity um, in a way that, that further tricks us to get off planet. I think these are all just sort of steps on the way towards colonizing the stars. Uh, I don't think, for instance, that... Uh, uh, these experiences are coming from from 
outside of this, you know, mostly closed system called Earth. I, I, I don't, or Gaia, I don't think that, that that that's what's happening here. I think what we're seeing is is trickery. That's why I wrote a book on the trickster. Uh, I think we're being tricked. I think this all, none of this, you can't accept any of the, of, 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 of these types of, of details or elements uh, in, the, in the narrative. You can't accept them at face value. Um, if they tell you that they're from another uh, star or planet or whatever, they're tricking us. Um, that's why earlier in the game, uh, in the 50s, in the late 40s into the early 50s, uh, these beings were from Venus or Mars or Jupiter or Uranus. And then slowly as we, came, as we became more sophisticated scientifically, uh, they, all of a sudden they would become – um, they would come from other uh, star systems and then other galaxies. So, you know, in, in the technology that we're seeing, going from nuts and bolts, uh, big uh, airships with sails and steam engines in the 1890s, uh, it gave way to um, uh, mandalas of completion in the uh, Jungarian description, uh, Carl Jung. Uh, and now we're seeing, uh, you know, more sophisticated technology. The tricking uh, process that's going on is couching itself in technology that's slightly ahead of where we are at that point in time. So they're not giving us something that is um, beyond our ability to at least comprehend and identify it. Um, they're just they're, they're just leading us along like a like a carrot. Uh, you know, in front of the horse or the donkey, and and I don't I don't really think that we're seeing, uh, I, I I I haven't seen any evidence, not one shred of unassailable evidence, unequivocal evidence that we are being uh, number one visited by aliens uh, from outside this closed system, and number two. Uh, there's some sort of manipulation going on um, in in, phys in the physical uh, realm of science and and genetics and, uh, and and that that whole thing. There's there's one thing that throws a monkey wrench into that theory, and that's a cattle mutilation phenomenon. That's why I'm so um, really uh, involved in trying to get to the bottom of that because I think that's the one thing that may be the key. To all of this, because it's it's biology, it's it's you know thousands of pounds of physical evidence, uh, and and so you know I, I don't I don't buy into the uh, into the uh, uh, the John Mack, the David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, Kathleen Martin. Um, you know I could go down the list of all the uh, you know even all the way back to Leo Sprinkle, who was one of the first people that uh, recognized me for my work. Uh, you know, Leo was the one that really was the first guy to start regressing people. He's, you know, he's still around. He's in his 90s. Uh, but um, he regressed uh, the owner of Snippy the Horse, you know, and back in the, you know, mid-60s. Uh, he, you know, he's he kind of brought in the whole uh, Dolores Cannon, um, Barbara Lamb, uh, you know, the new age kind of the space brothers are here to, to save us and to improve our, you know, uh, spank us when we're bad in a giant kind and gentle way, but, uh, they're here to solve all our problems for us. I don't believe that, that that is, is, 
no way. There's nothing outside that's going to come here and solve all our problems for us. I don't think they're going to come here and eat us and use us as uh, as cattle either. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty progressive guy when it comes to social and political uh, subjects and things and 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 scenarios. But when it comes to this subject, uh, these uh, you know kind of fringe subjects, I'm very conservative. Uh, I don't uh, I don't like to leap beyond what the uh, you know, the empirical evidence will uh, support, and we don't have any empirical evidence that supports uh, genetic manipulation. We don't have any empirical evidence that suggests that people um, are actually being taken up and aboard ships. I had a Native American, uh, uh, the head of the uh, Department of Public Safety in Dulce for 30 years. He was being trained by his grandfather uh, to, to carry on his, his clan's medicine lineage. And he asked the grandfather, he said, grandfather, you know, what are these silver ships that we're seeing? And, and what happens? Uh, are people actually being taken up uh, out of their bedrooms into these ships? And his grandfather did this. Now, I'm trying to illustrate this because he didn't really, he only said one word um, or one phrase. But he, he, he stopped his, his grandson, uh, uh, Hoyt Velarde. And said, you know, shut up. And then he, they were sitting at a table and there was a salt shaker uh, in, in front of him. And he, he grabbed the salt shaker and he picked it up and moved it to the side and banged it on the table. And then he took his hands and then raised them up out of the table upwards, like something coming out of the table hmm. where the salt shaker used to be. And then he slammed the salt shaker back in its spot wow. and then did a, a chop over the top of it and said, nah, which in Apache or Dene means don't ask me again. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, and I said, well, Hoyt, uh, that God, man, that's, that's pretty interesting. What, what, did, what did you take that to mean? And he said, very simple. He says, when, when someone is taken aboard a ship, they don't go up through the wall and out the, you know, up, up in the sky into the ship. The ship forms around them. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, it's, it's like something's coming up out of the ground. It's kind of how I interpreted it. And then it, 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 the experience happens and then they close the door. You know, there's a door opening. It comes out and, you know, encompasses you in the experience. The experience ends and then, bam, the door closes. Mm. You know, that's kind of my interpretation of it, but he, he would know better. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> there are reports of a type of co-location phenomenon in which some of these craft are apparently permeably interfacing with someone's home structure or a room? Yeah, yeah, consciousness, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. For more on Christopher O'Brien, visit ourstrangeplanet.com and ufodap.com. And now, a poem by Greg Delante. Greg Delante is the author of several books of poetry. He's the recipient of the Austin Clark Award, the Alan Dowling Poetry Fellowship, a Guggenheim Grant, and the Patrick Kavanaugh Award. He is the poet in residence at St. Michael's College in Vermont. The Alien. 
I'm back again, scrutinizing the Milky Way of your ultrasound, scanning the dark, matter, the nothingness. And now, the heads say, is chock-a-block with quarks and squarks, gravitons and gravitini, photons and photinos, our sprout, who art there inside the spacecraft, of your ma, the time capsule of this printout, hurling and whirling towards us, it's all daft. On this earth, our alien who art in the heavens, our Martian, our little green man, we're anxious to make contact, to ask divers questions about the heavendom you hail from, to discuss the whole shebang of the beginning and end, and the pre-Big Bang, on time, before you forget the why and the lie of that first place. And our friend, to say welcome, that we mean no harm, we'd die for you even, that we pray you're not here to subdue us, that we put away our ray guns, missiles, attitude, and share our world with you, little big head, if only you stay. Greetings, terrestrial wonder spindles. Stuart here. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please go to stuartdavis.com and become a patron. Just click on the Patreon button, and in no time at all, I will have all the bail money an artist could want.
Mystery turns us into smoke.